The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. Toledo gets the job done against BYU while Ohio State and Michigan win convincingly on Saturday afternoon. The Lions should have won the football game on Sunday against Kansas City. While the Browns win the must-win game against Baltimore. The end of the baseball season is upon us. It's time for the postseason to start. We get ready to hit the ice in the NHL. The NHL preview is done. You'll hear my predictions tonight. And you'll also hear Scott Leffler previewing the Bowling Green Notre Dame football game. And we have information about the UTBG game. But that all gets trumped today for what happened this morning. At the Huntington Center, a familiar foe comes to the ice, and I got a gripe about it. It's time to start talking. It's time to listen, and it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 54 runs in the span of the Shut out. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, I love you guys, and welcome into another edition of All Andy Alfred tonight, right here on the 1st of October. It's the first of the month! It's the first of the month! And it's time for another edition of All Andy Alfred right here on the Anchor Network. And you're listening to us on the plethora of platforms with Anchor. Whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alford. It is at All Andy Alford. Got a lot to get into tonight. Of course, you're going to hear the NHL preview edition, some of the portions tonight on this podcast. You can listen to the full thing that we posted later on on the, on the Anchor Network as well, as well as we're going to talk about the Jackets making the final cuts today and making their opening night roster. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what happened on the gridiron. The Lions getting closer and closer and being a really contending team. They lose to Kansas City. We'll break down the game for you 
on from this past Sunday. The Browns, a must win. We'll also dive into the, the Indians. The Indians finishing up the season with a sweep, getting swept by the Nationals. We'll get into that, as well as the Tigers. Did they get to 120 losses? Well, not really. We'll, we'll talk about that, as well as some of the college football spectrum. Like I said, you can be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at all Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash all Andy Alfred. We were going to lead with Bowling Green and the media coverage and also college football for week five, but that gets trumped because of what happened today. And we're going to start with the ice and we're not going to start with the NHL. We are going to start with what happened today in Toledo, Ohio, in the East Coast Hockey League. We're going to start with that first. As you are know, know that hockey is in full swing. Training camps are taking place across the ECHL. Cincinnati started their training camps. Fort Wayne has started their training camps with new eight, with their, the former walleye fish, A.J. Jenks, on the helm. He is now wearing number 47. We'll get to that in just a second. But today... The walleye made an announcement that has just absolutely sickened me to the core. It has sickened me to the core and it has opened my eyes to what this franchise is. Today, the Toledo walleye announced a signing that I could not believe they did. The walleye today signed former defenseman from a rival team being the Fort Wayne Commons. You want to guess who it is? Cody Soul. They add depth to a PTO, a player, a con, uh, a tryout, player tryout contract to Cody Soul. He's going to make this team. There's no doubt. There is no doubt to this. He has played 377 games in the East Coast Hockey League. He has 39 goals, 88 assists, 127 points. It's a great move. I have to give credit to this, but I'm going to say this. This is the most stupidest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. A.J. Jenks, your top goal scorer in the league, in this franchise, he doesn't get signed, he goes to Fort Wayne, and the walleye respond by signing Fort Wayne's favorite player, Cody Soule. Isn't it a kind of coincidence that this happens? AJ leaves and goes to Fort Wayne, becomes a, becomes now the fan, the fan hate. Cody Soul, who the fans hated here in Toledo, now becomes the fan favorite. They did the same thing when Nagel was with, with Fort Wayne. And now everybody loves Pat Nagel. Everybody absolutely loves Pat Nagel. He's like the godsend to goaltending. Give me a break. Give me an absolute break. This is an absolute joke. 
This is a guy who cries more about pel- when he doesn't get a penalty called his way than anything else. He's a bona fide cherry picker. He's a, he does cheap shots. And this is the team that we're so this is a guy that we're supposed to fall in love with. This is a guy we're supposed to fall in love with and and support and and cheer for. You got to be kidding me. When the fans when I heard about this this afternoon, the tr- when this was announced, I absolutely was dumbfounded. How stupid could this organization be? And it, it, it proved to me one thing. This is a cash grab for both Fort Wayne and Toledo. It really is. Because now you have Fort Wayne fans that are going to buy the package that Fort Wayne is now selling for Toledo tickets. And the Toledo fans are going to buy the Fort Wayne package so they can see AJ Jakes. Give me a freaking break. This is utterly ridiculous. And again, I say it again. This team will not make the postseason for the next two to three years. Now it's definitely for sure. This is a damn joke. This is a slap in every fan's face that roots against your opposition team. Oh, and then he says he does an interview with Jordan Strack. I saw the interview. He wants to win a championship. Doesn't that sound familiar, folks? For being every sports team. Oh, LeBron James leaves Cleveland. Where does he go? He goes to Miami. Win, wants to win a championship. He wins a championship. Toledo is not, they get, I'm going to say this. They get lucky to make it. And it's the Toledo curse when it comes to championships at big games. Toledo from football, college football, wins the MAC championship. Goes to a bit, goes to a big time college Bowl game gets blown out. The Mud Hens make a postseason run last year, get swept in three games. The Walleye from this past season, we all thought that this was going to be the year. It was going to be our fish, our fight. To make it to the postseason and to finally break the curse and not have another losing season. To finally win a championship since 1994. We lose to Newfoundland. The game four loss was the killer for us. And now we sign this dope. From a rival team, I'm telling you, this is a big cash grab. You don't mean to tell me that Watson and 
and everybody is in on this. And he says, well, I want to I wanna win a championship, and uh, I want to do... You have to earn a championship. You have to respect the club that you're coming into. Not break a bicycle like you did a few years ago. The fans... I, I, I tell you this. I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to be, be cautious with me when I say this. This is not a good move. Do not believe the hype on this team. This is not a good move. This guy is a dope. He's not good. According to Dan Watson, he says, we have seen Cody what Cody can do over the past five years coaching against him. His big body, strong physical defenseman, and we look forward to seeing him in camp. He was in camp today. He brings a blue-collar style to his... But the thing is, he takes cheap shots. He cherry-picks. He doesn't play the game right. You play two ways when you're on defense. You set up the play in front, but he hangs around the net too, too much. And this guy, this guy is not a walleye. He will never be a walleye. The amount of years, the five years, and now, for me, this is an understanding of why they didn't announce the second veteran that they kept. They have the opportunity they had the opportunity to keep Jenks and they didn't. And they get this dope instead. I have shame on the walleye. Absolute shame. You never pick him up. You should have kept Charlie O'Connor. You should have kept you should have kept a couple other good guys. And you should have kept A.J. Jenks. This is a ridiculous... No. I... I'm just flabbergasted. I really am. I blame Waddy. I blame... Management. And he says that the contract in the Swiss League didn't work out. So then he, he called Watson. He says he wants to win a championship. Listen to me, folks. This guy is a dope. I don't like him. I never liked him when he was... I, I liked him when he was in the opposition. When he is now in a blue, white, and yellow jersey... For this franchise, it is a bad look for him. And it's a bad look on us. And I'm just going to tell you right now, again, I will repeat this over and over again. I do not see this franchise making the postseason next year, this upcoming season. I just don't. I really don't. But we'll see. We shall see. 
I, I was just absolutely flabbergasted by this move. It's a stupid move. It is a stupid move. You got your Andy rants early in the show. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here. On the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. Let's hit the gridiron. Let's talk some college football. Man, why in God's name did we sign Cody Soul? God. So now let's take a look at the college football spectrum. And it was a good weekend for college football, I will say this. Um, and it all started Friday night as Penn State took on Maryland and blanking the Terps 59 to nothing. Penn State 12th ranked in the country. 15th ranked Cal fell to Arizona State. The Sun Devils getting a 24 to 17 win over Cal. On Saturday, Oklahoma 6th ranked in the country slaughtered the Texas Tech Red Raiders 55 to 16. It was, it was, um. Wisconsin a winner, 24-15 over Northwestern. Northwestern having a good game overall, but you know, two miss you know, a missed field goal, and then Fitzgerald goes for two twice and does not capitalize on it. It was just a shocker to me. Iowa was a winner 48-3 over Middle Tennessee. Texas AM a 31-27 win over Arkansas. Clemson being shockingly taken. To the woodshed over North Carolina, but somehow, some way, they get the win as North Carolina went for went for two to possibly win the game, gets beat, and Trevor Lawrence holds off the Tar Heels by a score of twenty-one. To 20 in the game. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, roll tide, Bama, controlled over Ole Miss, 59 to 31 in the game. It was Washington, a 28 to 14 win over USC. Townsend loses to Florida, 38 to nothing. Auburn, a 56 to 23 win over Mississippi State. UCF, a winner, 20 56 to 21 over Connecticut. It was Kansas State loses to Oklahoma State 26 to 13. Utah 38 to 13 win. So look and Michigan State was a winner 40 to 31 over Indiana. Let's take a look at some of the local teams and we'll start with Michigan first and foremost. They took on the Rutgers Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the Big House and it was all Michigan in this game. Shane Patterson four TDs in the game as 20th ranked Michigan routed the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers, 52 to nothing. Patterson, 17 for 23, 276 total yards in the game. He also threw four TDs in the game to help propel Michigan to the 52 to nothing win. Like I said, 17 for 23, 276. He had one TD, one interception in the game. My apologies. He had four TDs overall in the game for Michigan. Um, Milton went 3 for 4, 59 yards, 1 TD in the game. Turner, 11 carries for 48 yards. Haskins, H. Haskins, 9 carries, 45 yards. From the receiving core for Michigan, it was Donovan People Jones, 4 receptions for 62 yards. Bell, 6 receptions, 83 yards in the game. For the Scarlet Knights, 
Velowski, 17 for 24, 106 yards, no TDs, no interceptions in the game. Paco, 10 carries, 23 yards, no TDs in the game. Blackshear, 7 catches, 55 yards. Melton, 2 catches, 20 yards in the game. The stats look like this. Michigan had 28 first downs to Rutgers, 10. On third down, Michigan was 6 for 11. Rutgers, 5 for 14. Michigan, a perfect 1 for 1 on fourth down. Rutgers, 0 for 2. Michigan had 476 yards of total offense, 335 to the air, 141 on the ground. For Rutgers, 152 yards in total, 106 through the air, 46 on the ground. Nine penalties for 70 yards for Rutgers in the game at the Big House. Six penalties, 35 yards for Michigan. Both teams turned over the football once. Michigan led in time of possession at 30 minutes and 41 seconds. Rutgers, 29 minutes and 19 seconds. So Michigan getting a 52 to nothing win, a convincing win over Rutgers. They'll have Iowa going forward next week. Well, let's look at Bowling Green's next opponent, and they are the Notre Dame Fighting Irish as they took on the Cavaliers of of Virginia. A good game. Akura, three sacks in the game. He had three of the eight Notre Dame sacks, and it caused a fumble that was returned for a touchdown as Notre Dame beats Virginia 35-20. And it was a close game. It was 17-14 at halftime in favor of Virginia, but the Irish turned up the heat in the second half. 14 unanswered points in the third quarter. Another touchdown in the fourth made it 35-20. to was the final. Ian Book, 17 for 25 in the game, 165 total yards in the game, no TDs, no interception. It was Jones with 18 carries, 131 yards, three touchdowns in the game. Finister, six carries for 27 yards, one TD in the game. Krent, four catches, 65 yards, no TDs in the game. Fiend with two catches, 32 yards, no TDs in the game. For Virginia, it was Perkins, 30 catch. 30 for 43, 343 through the year, two touchdowns, two interceptions of the game. It was Tapala, 10 carries, 31 yards, no TDs in the game for him on the rushing side of, of the ball. In the receiving core, it was Dubois with nine catches, 143 yards, one TD in the game. And Reed with nine catches, 107 yards, one TD in the game. The breakdown looks like this. Both teams had 19 total first downs. On fourth down, Notre Dame with six for 15. Virginia 4 for 14. On fourth down, Virginia 1 for 2. Notre Dame 2 for 2. Virginia had more total yards than Notre Dame at 338 to 322. Notre Dame had 322, 165 through the air, 154 for Notre Dame through the on the ground. For the Cavaliers, 334 yards of total offense through the air. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Four. Four total yards of rush for the for the Cavaliers. It's gonna be tough for Bowling Green with Andrew Clare. Six penalties, fifty-two yards for the Cavaliers. Nine penalties, fifty yards for the Irish. Five turnovers in the game for the Cavaliers. Three fumbles, two interceptions, one interception fumble for the Irish in the game. Virginia led in the possession at thirty-three minutes and thirty-two seconds. Notre Dame, 26 minutes and 28 seconds. So the Irish, a 35-20 win, beating 18th-ranked Virginia. Notre Dame now 10th-ranked in that poll. 
And we finally ended up with the Saturday night game of the night. Of course, Ohio State taking on Nebraska. And it was all Buckeyes in the game. At halftime, it was 28 to nothing in favor of Ohio State. They continued the route and they beat Nebraska 48-7 to in the game. For Ohio State in the game, Fields 15 for 21, 212 yards, three TDs, no interception in the game. J.K. Dobbins had 24 carries for 177 yards. Tegan, 12 carries, 77 yards, two TDs in the game. Fields also ran the ball 12, 12 times for a total of 72 yards, one TD in the game. His longest run was 41 yards. Mack had three receptions for 66 yards, one TD in the game. K.J. Hill, five receptions, 39 yards, one TD in the game. Martinez for Nebraska was 8 for 17, 47 total yards of passing. No touchdowns, three interceptions in the game. Martinez also ran the ball 15 times for 81 yards. Mills, 11 carries for 67 yards, one TD in the game. In the receiving core for Nebraska, Mills one catch, 10 yards. Washington, two catches, 10 yards as well. The breakdown looks like this. It was all Ohio State, 31 first downs to Nebraska's 15. On third down, Ohio State 10 for 13, Nebraska 4 for 12. Nebraska 1 for 2 on fourth down. The Buckeyes did not go for it on fourth down. Passing wise, total yards wise, Ohio State had 580 total yards of offense, 212 through the air, 368 on the ground. For Nebraska, 231 yard, total yards of offense, 47 through the air, 184 on the ground. Penalties killed Nebraska, six penalties for 57 yards, two penalties, 25 yards for Ohio State. Nebraska turned the ball over three times with three interceptions. Ohio State led the time of possession at 36 minutes and 54 seconds. So Ohio State, a 48-7 win over Nebraska. They will welcome in Michigan State for homecoming this upcoming weekend. Big game, another Saturday night game as as Michigan State comes in to the shoe. Looking at some of the other Big Ten games from this past week and week five of the college football season, it was Minnesota a 38-31 win over Purdue as well. Looking at the Mid-American Conference, big slate of games, of course, a small excuse me, a small slate of games. It was the NIU Huskies falling to Vanderbilt by a score of 24 to 18. Buffalo falls to Miami of Ohio by a score of 34 to 20. Western Michigan a 31-15 win over Central Michigan. Akron falls to UMass by a score of 37 to 29. And the big game, of course, the University of Toledo welcome in the BYU Cougars to the Glass Bowl. A sellout crowd at the Glass Bowl. It was Kayleen Robinson's 40-yard interception return to the BYU 2-yard line. In the final minutes of that game, in this dogfight of a football game, it was a great game on Saturday. Propelled the Rockets to the victory over BYU and beating Brigham Young University. BYU travels. My friends, the Mormons travel. They travel pretty well. They had over 8,000 in the BYU section. 
on Saturday afternoon. Don't tell me that they travel well. But they do. It was a noon kickoff at the Glass Bowl. BYU started out the scoring with a 7-0 lead. Um, Excuse me. Toledo started off their scoring with a 3-0 lead. BYU answered with a touchdown. And at the half, it was 7-3 in favor of the University of Toledo. In the second half of the game, Toledo coming out strong. And it was back and forth all game. As BYU would score a touchdown, Toledo would score a touchdown. It went back and forth. It honestly went back and forth. And to say that this game was a signature win for Toledo is an understatement. After losing to Kentucky, winning against Colorado State, and now this big win against BYU says a lot. Agani, 17 for 28, 206 yards, one TD, one interception in the game. Seymour, 19 carries, 96 yards, one TD in the game. Brian Kobach, 23 carries, 88 yards, one TD in the game. Phillips, five catches, 64 yards, no TDs in the game. Seymour had one catch, 18 yards, one TD in the game. Mitchell, four catches, 52 yards. For BYU, it was Wilson, 22 for 38, 315 total yards, two TDs, the one interception that cost them the game. Efska, 12 carries, 61 yards, one TD in the game. Hofflow, five catches, 111 total yards, two TDs in the game for BYU. Bushman, three catches, 45 yards, no TDs in the game. The full stats look like this. Toledo had 27 first downs to BYU's 18. On third down, Toledo was 6 for 15, BYU 5 for 15. On fourth down, Toledo was a perfect 2 for 2, BYU 0 for 2. BYU led in total yards at 455 yards, 354 through the air, 101 on the ground. For the University of Toledo, it was 448 total yards, 206 through the air, 242 on the ground. Penalties, three penalties, 33 yards for Toledo. Six penalties, 52 yards in the game. Toledo turned the football over three times in the game. Two fumbles and one interception. But the costly interception for BYU cost them the game. Toledo led in possession at 34 minutes and 49 seconds. BYU at 25-11 in the game. So BYU gets their third loss of the season. Toledo, their third win of the year. They're 3-1 overall. And they start Mac play this upcoming week with Western Michigan. As you're listening to All Andy Offer tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening to us, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Before we get into the Scott Leffler thing, let's take a look at the NFL schedule this and last week and the chance that the Lions had to win the football game. So let's continue to talk about the gridiron. Let's talk a little uh, NFL story for you. And let's recap the week that was. We'll get into the Lions and Browns here in just a second, but let's look at the recap week that was. 
Philadelphia on Thursday night getting the big win over the Green Bay Packers by a score of 34 to 27. On Sunday, it was Tennessee a winner 24 to 10 over the Atlanta Falcons. Circling the wagons, I thought Buffalo had the opportunity to beat New England in the game. I had Buffalo in the game, but New England coming out and beating the Bills by a score only of 16 to 10. The Raiders a 31 to 24 win over the Indianapolis Colts, the Chargers a 34 to 10 win over the Miami Dolphins. It was Jones quarterbacking the Giants to a second straight win as he beats the Washington Football Club by a score of 24 to 3. Carolina goes into Reliant Stadium and beats JJ Watt by a score of 16 to 10. It was Tampa Bay shocking everybody including yours truly as the Rams lose to Tampa Bay by a score of 55 to 40. Dominican Sue with the pickup and score for the Buccaneers in the game. Seattle a 27 to 10 win over the Arizona Cardinals. It was Daniel Jones powering the Bears to a 16 to 6 win over the Minnesota Vikings. Mitchell Pravitsky going down in the first drive of the game. Hurting his shoulder. He is going to be out for some time, my friends. When the Sunday night game saw New Orleans beating Dallas by a score of 12-10. Jacksonville a 26-24 win over the Denver Broncos. Monday night football saw Pittsburgh beating Cincinnati by a score of 27-3. So now let's take a look at the local teams. We'll start with the, with the promising note. And let's start with the Browns. The Browns went into Baltimore, Maryland to take on LeVar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And Nick Chubb, I said it to you. I have said it to you so many times, my friends. Nick Chubb is the star of this team. He is the most underrated guy on this team. You think of Landry, Odell, and Baker. Nick Chubb is dominant. I said this last season, I'll say it again. Nick Chubb is the best thing the Browns have. And when Kareem Hunt comes back, I hope Kareem Hunt still sits on the bench. Because Nick Chubb deserves every bit of it. And the Browns, with Nick Chubb, the driving force of the offense, puts up 40 points on Baltimore and beats the Ravens in Baltimore by a score of 40 to 25. Mayfield in the game, 20 for 30, 342 total yards. He had one touchdown and one interception. Nick Chubb in the game, 20 carries, 165 total yards, three TDs in the game. Hillard had six carries, 27 yards, one TD in the game. Landry, eight catches, 167 total yards, no TDs in the game. His longest run catch, 65 yards. Seals Jones, three catches, 82 yards, one TD in the game. OBJ had two catches for 20 yards in the game. Lamar Jackson, 24 for 34, 247. He had three touchdowns, but two picks in the game. Ingram, 12 carries, 71 yards, no TDs in the game. Sneed, two catch, Sneed the fourth, 
two catches, 61 yards, one TD in the game. Boykin, three catches, 32 yards, one TD in the game. Andrews, four catches, 31 yards, one TD in the game. The overall stats looked like this. Cleveland had 22 first downs to Baltimore's 24. On third down, Cleveland was 6 for 13, Baltimore 4 for 10. And on fourth down, Cleveland was a perfect 1 for 1, Baltimore 1 for 2. Cleveland had 530 total yards of offense. 337th of the year, 193 total yards of that was on the ground. And I said it again, 165 of it was all Nick Chubb. He doesn't get the credit. He deserves the credit. I've said it before. When he was at Georgia, he was going to be a star in the NFL. And he has stepped up to the plate. That's why I love the Browns. Because of this guy. He has a can-do attitude. He gets to the grind. He sticks his nose to the ground. And he runs and pounds you on the ground. Hundred and ninety-three total rushing yards and one sixty-five of it is his. And he deserves it. Hundred and seventy-three yards for the Ravens on the ground, two twelve. Excuse me, two twenty-two through the air for the Ravens in the game. Six penalties, forty-one yards for Cleveland, three penalties, fifteen yards for the Ravens. Turnover wise, Baltimore had three. Turnovers in the game, two of them interceptions, one fumble, and one interception for the Browns. Time of possession, the Browns had 30 minutes and 17 seconds. The Ravens, 29 minutes and 43 seconds. So the Browns getting a big win in Baltimore. And now I can say it the Browns are in first place in the AFC North. Can't believe it. Can't believe it, folks. Believe it. The Browns are for real. Speaking of for real, how about the Lions? Leaving Patrick Mahomes without scoring a touchdown. Throwing a touchdown in the game, folks. If it wasn't for the Lions giving... Mahomes too much time in the fourth quarter and giving Darrell Williams the chance to go ahead for the one-yard touchdown with 23 seconds left to go, the Lions should have won this football game. They left too much time on the clock for the Chiefs. And now the Lions fall to the Chiefs by a score of 34-30. to Let's look at the Chiefs first and foremost. Mahomes, 24 for 42, 315, no touchdowns, no interceptions in the game. His QBR, by the way, was a 77.1. McCoy, 11 carries, 56 yards, 1 TD in the game. Williams, 8 carries, 13 yards, 2 TDs in the game. Watkins, 3 catches, 54 yards. Yelder, two catches, 43 yards. Keese was the leading rusher, receiver, excuse me. Seven catches, 85 yards in the game. 
for the Lions in the game, Matthew Stafford, a QBR rating of a 73.2 because he was 21 for 34, 291, three touchdowns, no interceptions in the game. Johnson, 26 carries for 125 yards. He's really stepping up to the plate. He really is. Kenny Galladay is a beast of a wide, of a wide receiver. Killing it for the Brown for the Lions, excuse me. Five catches, 67 yards, two TDs alone in the game. TJ Hawkinson, three catches, 27 yards, one TD in the game. Marvin Jones Drew was the leading receiver for the Lions. Three receptions, 77 yards. He had no TDs in the game. Here's the overall stats for you. The Lions and Chiefs had 29 first downs together. On third down, the Lions were 5 for 13, the Chiefs 4 for 9. Chiefs 1 for 1 on fourth down, the Lions did not go for it. The Lions had 447 total yards of offense in the game to the Chiefs 438. They can handle the Chiefs. The Lions are starting to wake me up a little bit. 447 total yards, 261 through the air, 186 on the ground. Here's the key thing. The defense stood tall when it had to, but it didn't when it had to in the early on of the game, but later on in the game, it just fell apart quicker than a than a Meyer sweater in the wash. 123 yards on the ground for Kansas City. 315 through the air for Kansas City. That's 438. Seven penalties, 51 yards in penalties for Kansas City. Eight penalties, 48 yards for the Lions. A lot of five-yard penalties in the game. The Lions were three for six in the red zone. Kansas City was three for five. Kansas City, three fumbles in the game. Detroit had two, and one of them was a costly one. They fumbled it at the one-yard line, and the guy returns it for a touchdown. Time of possession. The Lions led in possession at 33 minutes and 54 seconds. The Chiefs at 26.06. As the Lions fall. The Chiefs by a score of 34 to 30, and now have a bye before they head to Green Bay for Monday Night Football in two weeks. Looking forward to that. Definitely looking forward to that. Week five starts on Thursday, as it will be the Rams heading into the 12th man to battle the Seahawks. 8:20 kickoff on Fox. I will take. The Rams to get back on the winning page over the Seahawks. Looking at the slated games going into week five. Buffalo is in Tennessee. Chicago is playing Oakland in London. One o'clock kickoff for that one. Arizona is in Cincinnati. Somebody's got to win a football game. Arizona 0-3-1. Cincinnati 0-4. Tampa Bay will go to New Orleans. Minnesota takes on the Giants. 
The Jets are in Philly. Baltimore is in Pittsburgh. New England is in Washington. Jacksonville is in Carolina. Atlanta's in Houston. Denver travels to LA to battle the Chargers. The game of the week will be Green Bay heading into Dallas to take on the boys. Kansas City, after their win against Detroit, have Sunday night football against Indianapolis. The Monday night game sees the San Francisco 49ers coming off the bye, taking on the Cleveland Browns. The Browns having another Monday night game. Looking forward to seeing what happens with that. As you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast tonight. And now, let's go to the Diamond, the final weekend of the Major League Baseball season. So let's hit the Diamond and the final weekend of the regular season. And we'll start with the Indians. The Indians had to win out against the Nationals and have Tampa Bay or Oakland lose games and the Tribe was swept three straight over the Nationals. The Indians were outscored in the game 26 to 13. Excuse me, 26 to 11. 26 to 11. And it started Friday. As the Indians lose 8-2 to the Nationals. Voth the win. He goes to 2-1 with a 3.30 ERA. Goody the loss. He goes to 3-2 with a 3.54 ERA. Turner his 19th. Pereira his 8th. As the Indians kill the, the Nats kill the Indians. And they crush the Indians' playoff hopes in the game. For the Indians, it was Plesak on the hill. He started the game. He went five innings, six hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, six strikeouts in the game. Goody went two-thirds innings, two hits, four runs, all four were earned, two walks, no strikeouts, no home runs hit in the game. Voth, a solid outing for him, six innings pitch, two hits, two runs. They were all earned, no walk, five strikeouts, no home runs hit in the game. Time of the game. Two hours and 44 minutes, 27,434 in attendance at Nationals Park in the nation's capital. So the the Indians' hopes were dashed. So they were playing out the rest of the weekend. The Indians fall and sat on Saturday by a score of 10 to 7, giving the Nationals the win, netting home, the Nats' home field in the wild card game that's being played tonight. It was Hudson the win. He goes to nine and three with a two point four seven ERA. Plunko the loss. He goes to seven and five with a four point six eight ERA. Luplo for the Tribe had two home runs, his fifteenth and sixteenth of the season. Hess his first as a Indian. Reyes his thirty seventh home run of the season. Pereira his ninth home run as he propelled the Nats to the seventh straight win and the clinch the home field advantage in the game. For the Indians in the game, Plunko the loss. He only won an inning and a third. Seven hits, eight runs. He gave up eight. All eight were earned, by the way. Two walks, three strikeouts in the game. For the Nationals, it was on the hill. Corbin on the hill. He went four and a third, seven hits, six runs. All six were earned. Two walks, eight strikeouts. He gave up three home runs in the game. Hudson went an inning pitch. No runs, no earned. 
no hits, two strikeouts in the game. Time of the game, three hours and 10 minutes, 38,435 in attendance at Nationals Park. So the final game for the Indians this season, they fall to it. And the Nats swept the Tribe by a score of 8-2. to two. Ross, the win, he goes to 4-4 four and four with a 5.48 ERA. Clevenger, the loss, he goes to 13-4 and four with a 2.71 ERA. Frankie Lindor, his 32nd home run of the season. Suzuki, his 17th of the season in the game. The Indians, Clevenger, 5 and 2 thirds, 7 hits, 6 runs, all 6 earned, 2 walks, 4 strikeouts, 2.71 ERA. He ends his season with, uh, for the Nationals, it was Ross the win. He went 6 innings pitch, 4 hits, 1 run. That run was earned, 2 walks, 8 strikeouts. He gave up the home run to Lindor. The final game of the season for the Nationals saw 36,764 in attendance at Nationals Park. Two hours and 50 minutes took to play the game. So the Indians finishes the season. Can't believe this. The Indians finished the season with a good record overall. The final record for the Indians, 93-69. and 69. They finished eight games out of first place. A 93-win Indian team does not make the postseason this year. And speaking of which, let's take a look at the other side of the lake, of course. So a good year for the Indians. For the Tigers, not so much. The Tigers uh, got a lot of interesting things. Big questions coming up in the offseason. They finish up their season with the on the south side of Chicago. They were rained out on Friday night as we were doing the podcast. They were up 4 to nothing in the game. They rain, They were rained out on Friday night. They played a double header on Saturday. Lost game one of the double dip by a score of 7-1. to one. It was Lopez the win. He goes to 10-15 and 15 with a 5.38 ERA. Boyd the loss. He goes to 9-12 and 12 with a 4.56 ERA. Miguel Cabrera, his 11th home run of the season. Medick, his two second home run of the season. Mendick, excuse me, Mendick. My apologies. Second home run of the season. Jimenez, the 34, 31st home run of the season. As Lopez overwhelms the Tigers to beat the, the, the excuse me, the Pale Hose beat the Tigers by a score of 7-1 to one in Game 1. Game 2 saw the Tigers getting a win, though. Oh, by the way. Looking at the box score in that game, it was Boyd went four innings pitch, six hits, four runs, two earned, one walk, four strikeouts in the game. Lopez, eight innings pitch, five hits, one run. That run was earned, one walk, nine strikeouts. He did give up the home run to Cabrera. Two hours and 41 minutes took to play game one. Game two saw the Tigers a big win, four to three, as, as John Hicks, Coming up big for the Tigers in the nightcap as Buck Farmer gets the win. He goes to 6-6 six six with a 3.72 as the Tigers get a 4-3 win over the Pale Hose. Cologne, the loss, he goes to 4-5 with a 2.80 ERA. Jimenez, the save, his ninth of the season. John Hicks, his 13th home run of the season. Uh, Johan Mokata, his 25th home run of the season. For the Tigers in the game, it was Alexander starting for the Tigers, he went five innings, seven hits, two runs, two were earned, two walks, four strikeouts in the game. For the White Sox, it was Nova, five hits, five innings pitched, three runs, three hits, one run. That run was earned, two walks, 
four strikeouts in the game. Time of the game, two hours and 58 minutes, 25,552 in attendance at Guarantee Rate Field. The concluding game, the final game for both teams this season, saw a Anderson and Abreu hitting clutch hits in the season finale for the White Sox as the White Sox beat the Tigers by a score of 5-3. Cordero, the win, he goes to 1-1 and one with a 2.89 ERA. Turnbull, the loss, he goes to 3-17 and 17 with a 4.61 ERA. Herrera, the save, his first of the season. Cabrera, his 12th home run of the season. Ronnie Rodriguez, his 14th. Costello, his 12th home run of the season for the Pale Hose. For the Tigers in the game, Turnbull went five in the third, two, three hits, four runs, three of which were earned, one walk, seven strikeouts in the game. Detweiler started for the White Sox in the game. He went five in the third, five hits, two runs. Those two runs were earned, one walk, three strikeouts, and one home run hit in the game. 19,534 were in attendance for the game. Two hours and 37 minutes took to play the game at Guarantee Rate Field. So the Tigers finished the season... With an overall record, of course, not getting to the postseason, they finish with a record of 47 and 114, close to my 115, which was my second guess. But 47 wins and 114 losses, which guarantees them now the number one overall pick in this upcoming year's MLB draft. So, with that in mind. The postseason is pretty much set. And here is what it looks like. The postseason looks like this, my friends. So it looks like this. The wild card games are as follows. The Brewers will go into Washington to battle the Nationals at 8 o'clock tonight on TBS. It is on the hill for the Nationals in the game. It will be Woodruff for the Brewers. And for the Nationals, it will be uh, Scherzer, Scherzer in the game for the Nationals. Uh, tomorrow, it will be the Rays taking on the Athletics. Uh, it will be Charlie Morton, 16-6 and with a 3.05 ERA. He'll take on Medina, who is 4-0 with a 1.21 ERA, 8.09 start time that game on ESPN number one. So this is what it looks like. It will either be the Brewers or the Nationals will open up with the Dodgers Thursday at 8.37. The Cardinals will travel to Atlanta to take on the, take on the Braves. The Twins will in the American League will open up a series against the Yankees on Friday. 7.07 first pitch. And on Friday, it will be the winner of the, uh, the wild card between Tampa and Oakland will open up in Houston against the Astros. So we'll keep you posted on the Major League Baseball playoffs. It's the best time of year for the postseason for baseball. And um, if I had to make a selection tonight, I'd probably say I would take the Brewers. I think they've got a lot of key pieces. I think they can get to Scherzer really easily. I'll take the Brewers. In the wild card game, I'll take I'll take Tampa beat Oakland. I think the road teams will get the better odds. So it'll be, in my opinion, the Brewers versus the Dodgers and the Rays versus the Astros and then it's just a toss-up from there. 
as you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the podcast tonight. And now let's hit the ice again and let's talk about the NHL. So it's now time for the Jackets report. Of course, sound the horn, get yourself ready to go. The Jackets are going strong as we have now hit the end of training camp and it is now game week and opening night is right around the corner the jackets will open up with the Leafs, but let's take a look at the final preseason games for the jackets the jackets finished up against new jersey on friday night they fell to the devils by a score of two to nothing taylor hall in the first period at the 832 mark of the first period made it one nothing new jersey it was nobody scoring in the second period but it was tyler sajak getting his first of the campaign in the preseason from Cal Palmieri and Taylor Hall. It made it 2-0 on the power play with 8.20 to go in the third period. And that was it. It was all New Jersey in the game. Corpusala starting for the Jackets in the game. He stopped a total of 25-27, of his save percentage of a .926 for the Devils in the game. It was Corey Schneider stopping all 32 of 32, his save percentage a point. A 1.0 in the game. The the stats look like this. The Jackets had 32 shots on net to New Jersey's 27. Columbus 60, 59% on the faceoff dot to New Jersey's 41%. New Jersey 1 for 3 on the power play. Columbus 0 for 4. Columbus out hitting New Jersey in the game 18 to 13. New Jersey had 16 blocks to Columbus's 8 in the game. So the Jackets fall in their technically final preseason game. They had a game scheduled on Sunday to take on St. Louis. That got canceled because of St. Louis's uh, plane malfunctioned. Uh, everybody was safe, of course, so they canceled the game. They had a practice, of course. Uh, so they are now set. We open up the season on the 4th of, of October against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, of course, the the news of the day, of course, has been the roster has been set for the Jackets. They made four moves to set their 23-man roster. It looks like this. It will be Alexander Wenberg, Cam Atkinson, Gustav Nyquist, Jakob Lilia, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Riley Nash, it's always Sonny and Columbus Milano, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Boone Jenner, Alexander Texier, Nick Foligno, Josh Anderson, and the new kid, Eliam Benstrom. This kid is going to be a stud for us. 13 forwards, 8 defensemen, Seth Jones, Scott Harrington, Zach Wierenski, Ryan Murray, Vladislav Gertov, Dean Kukin, David Savard, Marcus Nuovara. And the goaltending will be Jonas Corposalo, number 1, and Alvarez Marinsink as the backup to Corpy. So the set, the roster is set. It was made announced today by Yarmo Kekalainen and John Tortorella. The Jackets are set and ready to go for this season. Of course, there are two games. There were uh, two games yesterday, excuse me, on Sunday. Games Sunday and for the final preseason game. Winnipeg beats Minnesota in overtime by a score of 5-4. to four. Uh, it was Vegas, a winner 5-1 over San Jose. Washington was a winner 4-3 over Carolina. In exhibition play, the Espen Berlin 
Uh, Eagles took on the Chicago Blackhawks. The Hawks are one three to one. The big one was Louisiana of the Swiss League, a four three win over the Philadelphia Flyers yesterday. That was a little bit of a shock for me, but tomorrow is NHL Faceoff 2019, and there's four games on the docket: two in Canada, two in the states. We'll start with the first ones that start off at seven o'clock. As the Ottawa Senators head in to Scotia Arena in downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada, as they take on Austin Matthews, Jonathan Tavares, and Mike Babcock, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, 7 o'clock, puck drop for that one. 8 o'clock on NBCSN Seas, the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, welcome in the Washington Capitals, 8 o'clock, puck drop for that one. 10 o'clock sees the Vancouver Canucks traveling into Edmonton to take on the Oilers. The nightcap on NBCSN sees the San Jose Sharks heading into Vegas to battle the Golden Knights. Thursday's slated games look like this. Winnipeg goes into New York to play the Rangers. Florida heads into Tampa to take on the Lightning. Buffalo is in Pittsburgh to take on the Penguins. It will be the Montreal Canadiens heading into Carolina to take on the Hurricanes. Minnesota goes to Nashville. That game at 8 o'clock game on NBCSN. Boston heads to Dallas. Uh, Colorado hosts the uh, Calgary Flames. And Arizona heads into the pond to battle the Ducks. Uh, Friday slated games, of course, like I mentioned before, before, the Jackets open up against the Leafs. Winnipeg takes on New Jersey. It will be the Golden Knights heading into San Jose. Philadelphia hosts Chicago. And this game is the game that is going to be taking place in the Czech Republic on the NHL Network and NBCSN Chicago and NBCSN Philadelphia. As this game is the national game, of course, Uh Washington heads into New York to battle the Islanders. And uh, as of note, right now, all Andy Alfred, the podcast, and as well as the Falcon Friday edition of the podcast, we will do all Andy Alfred post-game to the Leafs-Jackets game this upcoming Friday. We'll have the full recap. Of course, you'll hear my opinion on how the team looks after night one of the season. The Jackets, after Friday night, will go to Pittsburgh Friday, Saturday to take on the Penguins. The Hockey Night in Canada games look like this. Montreal goes into Toronto to take on the Leafs. It will be the Rangers in Ottawa to take on the Senators. Uh, And it will also be the nightcap on Hockey Night in Canada sees Calgary hosting the Canucks and the Oilers hosting the Kings. Uh, Like I said earlier in the podcast, like I said earlier in this in this segment, we did all Andy offer the the 2019-2020 NHL preview edition. Of course, we'll have the you can listen to the full podcast as of here in just a little bit when we do the podcast. Both podcasts are going to be released at the same time, but I will give you the synopsis in its entirety from this past season. I mean, for this past upcoming season and my predictions 
We'll start first and foremost with the divisions. I have in the Central Division, Minnesota in 7th, Chicago in 6th, Dallas with a wild card spot at 5, St. Louis with a wild card spot at 4, Winnipeg 3, Nashville 2, and the Colorado Avalanche finishing first overall in the Central Division. In the Pacific, it will be LA finishing 8th, Anaheim 7th, Edmonton 6th, Vancouver 5th. I have Arizona also finishing 4th. San Jose will be in 3rd place. They'll get a little playoff position. Vegas finishes second. And Calgary gets the top spot overall in the Western Conference and number one in the Pacific Division. In the Eastern Conference Atlantic Division, I have the Ottawa Senators finishing in eighth. Buffalo in seventh. Detroit finishes in sixth place. Fifth is Montreal. Florida is fourth place. Gets a wild card spot. Boston finishes in third. Toronto two. Tampa Bay finishes in first place. In the Metropolitan Division, I have the New York Jersey Devils finishing in eighth spot. The Islanders falling to seventh. Six sees the Columbus Blue Jackets on the outside looking into the playoffs. Five is the Pittsburgh Penguins. They will not make the postseason for the first time in a long time. Philadelphia gets a wild card spot. They'll finish in fourth. The Rangers in third. Carolina, two. And the President's Trophy winner this year and the number one team overall in the NHL and the number one in the Metro is the Washington Capitals. Playoffs look like this. Well, you know, to skip the playoffs, my Stanley Cup final teams are the Colorado Avalanche and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I have the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup over the Colorado Avalanche. Enjoy the opening night, of course, tomorrow night as the Leafs take on the Senators and on NBCSN, the Blues lift the banner and welcome in the Washington Capitals. As you're listening to All Andy for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in the podcast tonight. And now let's head Back to the gridiron, and let's hear from a familiar voice that we haven't heard in over a week. So after a bye week, Bowling Green comes back onto the gridiron as they will now hit the road for their one of their biggest tests of the season as we now hit week five, game five for this team as they now get ready to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yes. That Notre Dame, the team that just beat Virginia. Of course, this is a big test for Bowling Green. Uh, and Leffler has seen this team before with, with him playing with Boston College, coaching at Boston College. And uh, he'll make mention of that here in just a second. But I just want us to be competitive. I like to see how we how we're gonna do. I like to see our off, our our rush offense get better. I hope Andrew Clare gets a lot of touches in this game, and I just hope that you know the opening line for this game is interesting. I'll say that because Notre Dame is favored in the game right now at forty four and a half points. Forty four and a half points in the game. I'm so glad I'm not going to the game. No, I'm going to sit at home and watch it with some friends that are Notre Dame fans. I'm going to sit there and watch it. 
Because you look at the top 25, which I forgot to mention earlier in the podcast. 20, top 25 like this. This will be the first time that Bowling Green will play a top 10 opponent since Ohio State back in 2016. Alabama's at 1, Clemson at 2, Georgia's 3, Ohio State 4, LSU at 5, Oklahoma 6, Auburn 7, Wisconsin 8, Notre Dame is at 9, Florida 10, Texas 11, Penn State 12, Oregon 13, Iowa 14, Washington 15, Boise State 16, it's Utah 17, UCF 18, Michigan goes to 19, Arizona State 20, Oklahoma State 21, Wake Forest 22, uh, Virginia 23, SMU 24, Texas A&M, and Ohio State at 25th. So, like I said, Bowling Green not favored in the game. 45.5 points is the point spread as Notre Dame is favored in the game on their homecoming weekend in South Bend. ESPN has them with a 99.6% projection to win the football game. Bowling Green's chance is a 0.4%. Tells you something. The over-under is 61 points. 61 points. It's going to be a beautiful weather day. 59 degrees. It'll be nice and comfortable. You can get tickets as low as 30, 59 that's $39 for this game. The only bright that's the only bright spots that I could say. Jones is their leading rusher for for Bowling Green. He has 43 touches for 205 yards, 1 TD. Jones Jr. for Notre Dame has 48 carries for 279 yards. He has 4 TDs. Claypool is the leading receiver. At 21 catches for 268 yards, two TDs this season. Quentin Morris for us, 16 receptions, 218 yards, two TDs. You know Ian Book, 7 for 119, 993 total yards, eight TDs, two interceptions. Wade, 66 for 144, 664 total yards, three touchdowns, three INTs in the game. So with that in mind... We got a chance to listen to Scott Leffler's pregame about Notre Dame and to talk about his team in this past Monday's press conference. This is courtesy of the Bowling Green Athletic Department on YouTube. We have the full audio for you to listen as this is from the coach, Scott Leffler, talking about Notre Dame and about the hard loss about Kent State. Uh, we're coming off a good bye. Uh, I thought we had uh, three practices. We've emphasized uh, uh, with the guys to try to master our trade. So what we did is uh, we reduced to some things that we're doing and really trying to make an emphasis on improving in every aspect of our technique and fundamentals. Uh, we've worked on, uh, we changed up practice slightly to work on our competitiveness and uh, making sure that we understand that everything matters, every play matters. And then uh, we've done a great job of trying to improve on our, uh, our energy, our juice, and how we approach our, our daily, uh, daily grind. So it's been a good, uh, good bye week, and uh, we're excited to get going this week. Watching Notre Dame this past week, their pass rush completely halted that game against Virginia. So when you go against a pass rush that's as good as theirs, how do you, A, stay ahead of the chains, 
and B, uh, keep Jerry upright when you're in Yeah, uh, that's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I've uh, played against Notre Dame many years. I've uh, coached against them many years. And I think they have done an outstanding job of recruiting. I think they're different. They're different than what they've been in the past. They've always been good. They've always been uh, have great tradition. But uh, their, uh, their front four guys are unique. Uh, there's not a guy in, on their defense that can't run. Uh, they run, they hit, they play with enthusiasm. Um, there's a reason that they're in the top ten right now. They might be in the top five right now. They are, uh, they're outstanding uh, with, with their talent. They've done a great job of who they've recruited. They've developed them, and uh, they're unique. Uh, whenever you're watching the University of Georgia uh, struggle with them at times, you know you've done a really good job recruiting, and they have. This week's all about us. It's about be becoming more competitive. It's about uh, becoming a master of our trades and playing with more enthusiasm and juice. Um, it's all about us right now. We just got to worry about what we can control right now and go from there. How do you approach this thing with your guys when on paper you see, you know what you're facing? Um, how do you approach this thing mentally with your guys? It's just like any other football game in terms of um, – the same approach. You got to have this. You got to, regardless what situation you're in, you have to have that same approach to create some type of consistency. So uh, we're uh, it's business as usual. We got to prepare really well. We got to prep really well, and uh, we need to work on those three areas that we talked about. We need to become more competitive. We need to master our trades, and then uh, obviously playing with more energy and juice are all three things that we're trying to concentrate on right now. It's all uh, ones versus ones right now at times. Uh, we're going to really work on uh, everything matters. Every competitive snap matters. Everything's charted right now. And there's a winner and loser to everything. So uh, it's been good. It's created energy. It's created juice, which is great. It's very different than what we typically do during the season, but that's where we're at right now. Uh, we're practicing um, uh, totally different than uh, what we've practiced uh, during game week, but that's okay. And uh, that's where we're at right now. And we recognize as a staff and as players where we're at. And we need to change. And we're going to change to try to improve. I know on the call you said you're in. There's smaller that you guys are tackling. Yeah. What are those specific things? Yeah, it's uh, limiting the run game. It's uh, making sure that uh, our guys know uh, that there's zero excuse not to do your job because of the limited menu. So we're going to limit what we do, try to get better at a few things, and uh, chip away at this. After looking at the tape from the past few weeks, what what about the tape showed you that maybe you had to pare down what you were trying to do? Um, there's too many uh, missed opportunities. There's way too many. I mean, you watch it uh, on our side of the ball. You keep coming back, and you go, La Tech, it was 300-some-odd yards. Kent State was 250, so we're just trying to become a little bit more efficient at execution. and. Um, normally when you're in this situation, everyone says that. You pair back, you do this, and, and that's, that's uh, been from coaching from the time, uh, time we started playing when we were five and six years old. If you're not playing real well, you, you cut back. Uh, but uh, we're hoping that uh, with that we can get a few more uh, plays executed and create a few more explosions. And same thing on defense. Whenever you know, you're missing gap integrity and you're having gap trouble, um, you, know, you want to make sure that you're super sound and 
which we always are, but whenever you're making mistakes, which are causing explosion plays, you always try to pare down and try to get good at something. Nick mentioned the pass rush when they they the one thing where they're different than they ever have been is they their recovery speed right now is off the charts it is a top five uh, recruited team in my opinion uh, when they make a mistake they're so fast that they can recover in those plays that uh on a typical team that would go for 15, 20 yards or six or seven. Uh, the recovery speed is awesome and they're, they're not playing, uh, they're playing against some really good competition. You watch that Georgia film and you watch how they recover, the speed at which they recover. It's quite impressive because Georgia has some real dudes. a challenge uh, completely. It's been a challenge for him and Grant. Uh, it's been a challenge for Matt, to be quite honest with you. You know, to be able to be in a competitive situation and you win the job and then you next thing you know you're not able to, to uh, play. That's challenging for him. Uh, Darius coming off of uh, his injury, it's uh, he's still not anywhere near of what he was whenever we had him at Boston College. So, And then Grant, you know, he's a guy that's improving. So it's not an easy situation for all three of those guys right now, and they just need to keep uh, a positive attitude, keep working on a daily basis, keep trying to improve. And, um, you know, with that, you know, whenever you're tenacious and you keep grinding uh, normally, Good things happen to you, so that's what we got to do right now. Yeah, of course. I think all three of them do. To be honest with you, I think all three of them are, are fighters. They're good people. Um, we just need to play a little bit better and improve. You still have all your V games to go. So when you go into a road environment like this, do you expect to use a wider? array of players for this week? Are your substitution patterns going to be any different? Do you get guys, four guys, chances? Um, probably not, you know, just because of the depth standpoint. We're, uh, we're short on numbers at many positions, and we're trying to play right now as many guys as we can play. It's just uh, we're, limited on, uh, we're limited on depth right now and at all positions. Think about it. You know, we're talking about a situation where you have two quarterbacks on scholarship. You have three running backs on scholarship. Right there, you're supposed to have four to five quarterbacks. You're supposed to have five running backs on scholarship. So, um, and that's just at those two positions that hit me immediately. There's, there's depth problems in a lot of areas, and we got to improve that. And how you improve that is you recruit really well, and, and uh, you got to recruit and you got to build depth. The running group is going to be a big part of what you guys want to do here. Uh, you guys have been very committed to it, but how do you get that to really pop to where Yeah, it's consistency. It's, uh, it's fascinating to watch. And when you watch it, when the, when the line in the perimeter block properly, we're missing a cut whenever. Uh, um, or we block really well, and then the next thing you know, one position doesn't block and doesn't do his job. Uh, it's a it's a minus yardage play, so it's consistency right now across the board. Uh, you'll watch the offensive line do a fantastic job doing their job, blocking the box. The back makes the right cut, and then the next thing you know, your perimeter blocking's not uh, uh, a 
aligned correctly. So that goes back to the same thing that we that, that we started with, Nick, when you asked, you know, what are you trying to do to scale back? Well, we're trying to scale back so those incidents don't happen. So we don't say, oh my gosh, what if the left tackle would have made it? Oh my gosh, what if, what if, what if the uh, running back would have stuck his foot in one A-gap till he can't? Uh, there's lots of things that, uh, um, that are occurring right now and we're trying to, uh, to limit it and just improve. film is that uh, on all three phases is that how critical every single position is and you know whenever you're inconsistent the way we are you'll you'll watch the tape and you'll see nine guys do exactly what they're supposed to do and then there's two that don't or there'll be ten that does and one that doesn't and that's the coolest thing about our game is uh, it's getting uh, those 11 guys on the field to do their job all simultaneously and that's hard to do uh, it's really hard to do um, Right now, we're at the point where uh, all 11 guys have to do their job. We're not at the point where uh, 10 and a half can, 10 guys can, and then we make up because a guy we have a guy that can make everyone miss and, and score. So we have to be. It's it's fun, you know. That's the part that's fun. You know, you got every single guy on every single play has got to do his job. It's challenging. It's hard. And then uh, over time here. When ten and a half does, and you've recruited really well, and he makes someone miss, you, all of a sudden you're a really good coach. It feels like Notre Dame and Michigan always played a one-score game. You have a favorite memory from 1994. Yeah, 1994, great game at South Bend. Todd Collins gets spun around, hits Seth Smith on a shallow cross, on a desperation play. Remy Hamilton kicks the winning field goal. Great game. Yep. Ron Paulus played great that game, too. Young quarterback for Notre Dame. It was a great game. Awesome place. Awesome place. Fun place to play. You talked about Notre Dame contributing a lot. I know that's in the back of your mind. Yeah. If you've been able to look at who they recruited, what do you think is the biggest tactic they used to really put this class over the edge? I don't know. I, I should ask my roommate in college because he's, you know, he does a great job over there with recruiting. Uh, I just think they're different. They're long. They're athletic. Uh, they've always, and that's no disrespect to any of those great teams, but they are different. They are a top five uh, recruited team. They're long. They're fast. There's not one position where you go, okay, he can't run. He's a little stiff. He's that. They've done a fantastic job with recruiting, and uh, in my opinion, they're a top five team. There's no, no doubt about it. I know what uh, Kirby's done down there at Georgia in terms of his talent level, and whenever you watch Georgia and Notre Dame, you don't see much difference. Mac teams have rarely gotten a chance to play Notre Dame. So when you guys get a chance to go to play a team like this, do you look at that as, I don't know, do you, is there an element of appreciation that you guys get the chance to take a crack at a, a team? Oh, well, it's a great place. I mean, it's a storybook place. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the greatest traditions in college football. Um, the people over there are first class. Uh, I've always thought uh, playing at that stadium, the way that you're treated, um, um, the way that the fans treat you, I think it's uh, it's outstanding. And uh, I've been a part of one of the biggest rivalries.
stories in that game, and I always thought it was first class and and everything that they did over there. So um, they do a great job, and Brian Kelly, I know, has done a fantastic job. I I think this is a really, really good Notre Dame team, as good as and as athletic as I've seen in a long time. And uh, they've done a great job of uh, of building that program, and uh, I think they're just like I said. I know I sound like a broken record, but they're a top five team. No question about it. Have you talked to the team, any coach, about the environment, about the atmosphere, since you've obviously experienced it, or are you just dealing with one-on-one matchups? Yeah, we've always given the kids an idea what what the atmosphere is going to be like. It's it's an elite atmosphere. It's one of the best in college football. Um, so, uh, but again, that's something that we can't control. You got to go in there. You got to do your job. You got to focus. And uh, you know, after that first snap, most of the time, whenever you're at one of those big time places, uh, it goes right back into playing football. That first snap, though, generally speak, when you're at Columbus or Notre Dame or somewhere like that, it's pretty cool. Mood in the locker room, one of anticipation. Excuse me. Mood in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, what an opportunity to go into one of the most storybook programs in the United States to have an opportunity to play at that place is great. It's great. Consistency with all of them. You know, uh, there's things that uh, that we met with Matt uh, that he needs to improve on. Uh, Obviously, Darius, you're seeing a lot of him right now. We know, you know, his struggles right now where he needs to improve. It's consistency. Uh, you'll see him uh, do uh, a great job of weaving through a progression, and the next time he's slow through a progression. And uh, it's consistency, and that's always that position. That position's always been about consistency. And uh, the mindset, the, you know, that, 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 that position is as unique, and it's the hardest position in sport. And you have to be on your stuff every minute of the year to, to get to where you want to be. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, over the next uh, over the next eight months or so, that we get that position back to exactly the standards and expectation. But they're trying right now, which is we're just inconsistent right now. So you just heard Scott Leffler talk about the Notre Dame game coming forward for Bowling Green. We just previewed it just a little bit for you guys just a moment ago. Right here on all Andy offered for you tonight. Um, yeah, you you can hear the consistency. Like you said, uh, he wants Wade to get better. Uh, he wants McCoy to get uh, Lloyd. Excuse me, Lloyd to get better as well. Um, he wants to see the defense get better as well. Uh, you heard about practices have been changing around a little bit, and you also heard that you know he gives Notre Dame high praise that this team is ready and. I gotta, I gotta agree with them. This team is is stacked and ready to go. Forty four, forty five and a half is is a lot of points that they're giving us. And um, yeah, I could, I could definitely see why. And uh, so three thirty kickoff, NBC, Bowling Green and Notre Dame at South Bend on homecoming for the Irish. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network. Whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now we hit into the final segment. It's time for Andy Rants. So it's now time for Andy Rants, and we'll start a little bit with housekeeping to pass along to you guys. Um, uh, Friday, like I said, we're going to have a special post-game edition of All Andy Alfred after the Jackets Maple Leafs game. You'll hear the full recap as well as you'll hear all the college football predictions 
and NFL predictions from this upcoming weekend. Also, you'll hear in-depth analysis for the Bowling Green Notre Dame game as well, too. So looking forward to doing that. Also, next Saturday, the 12th of October, it will be the Bowling Green University of Toledo game. That game has been announced and the times have been announced for that game. Bowling Green will host no, uh, host Toledo on the 12th at high noon at Doit L. Perry Stadium. Uh, the podcast will still commence from Doit L. Perry Stadium. We will still have the tailgate. The tailgate is scheduled at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. We will be doing the podcast around 10 a.m. Uh, we'll have cornhole, of course, some burgers and hot dogs and everything like that. Stop by the tent, say hello. And uh, we'll get you on the podcast this, not this Saturday, but upcoming Saturday at Doydell Perry Stadium for the 90th ma- matchup between Bowling Green versus Toledo and the 100th anniversary of BGSU football as well. That game also on CBS Sports Network. Uh, look, check your local standings. Of course, on Buckeye Cable, it's on channel 170. Also, got to make mention of this as well, too. Read a great article from our good friend, the one and only Mr. Nick Moneyman DeVero. Wrote a fantastic piece. We he shared it on our Facebook page. I will also share it on our Twitter account. Uh, this past weekend was the final broadcast for WGN to air Chicago White Sox baseball as well as Chicago Cub baseball. Wrote a great piece about it. It was fantastic. Uh, Highly read if you're a Chicago sports fan. Um, It's a good piece to read. So uh, we'll share that link right on our Facebook page as well uh, here on the Anchor Network. So it's now time for Andy Rants. It's not really a rant tonight. I want to say give a special shout-out to a certain someone. Um, My mother is – her birthday is tomorrow, the 2nd of – October 2019. I want to wish my mom a very happy birthday. I love you, mom. Uh, even though you're a Leafs fan, you're opening up. You're opening up here in Columbus with us after you play Ottawa. Uh, I hope that the Leafs have a good season for you, and I hope you get to get to see the Leafs lift the Stanley Cup before, in your lifetime before uh, the good Lord pulls pulls you away from me. Um, I love you. I care about you. You're the best thing. You're my, not, you're my leading lady. Even though I have a missus, you're my mom. You're my best friend. I love you. And happy birthday. I love you, mom. Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 big rant, of course, was the wall. You heard that earlier in the podcast. And if you haven't heard the podcast, go back there and listen to the rant. Um, for me. It's going to be interesting to see how Bowling Green will do at Notre Dame. Um, I have a lot of friends that are 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 Notre Dame fans, and you know they're all wishing me good luck for this upcoming weekend. And like he said, like Scott said in the presser, you know the fans are good, and um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how Bowling Green does. As long as they're competitive, that's all I have to root for. As long as they're competitive. And they give it their best. I'll be fine with it. So we'll see what happens. And that's going to wrap it up. For all Andy for tonight, of course. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet on our podcast. Then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every Tuesday. 
And Friday, it was a special edition of, of Falcon Friday every Friday during the college football season. Until Friday night after the Blue Jackets Maple Leafs game, this is Andy Alford saying, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home. And to my teams. Go Jackets! Go Falcons! Go Bucks! And... Happy birthday, Mom. Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted defeat. Have a great rest of the week. Great week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Post-game edition. Wally Andy Elford. Love you. Talk to you guys then. Happy birthday, Mom. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlford. It is at AllAndyAlford. And on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlford. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network. Powered by Anchor.